are returning this week to our series, which I've titled, I, I know I, I never tell you the titles, but here it is anyway, just so you know. The title of the series is Training in Righteousness, the Ten Commandments in the Christian Life. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, you will find that on page 1031. As you're turning there, last week we began to look at the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And as we looked at it, we looked particularly at the ways that we and our culture do take the Lord's name in vain. So that we could begin to think through, you know, not doing those things anymore. That is a true and a necessary process as we consider any command. We must think about how we are tempted to break the command so that we're neither blinded to nor blindsided by that temptation when it comes. But it's also true that every commandment, which is a prohibition, has a implied positive side to the command. And every positive command has an implied negative. When God said, you shall worship me only, that's a positive command. But there's an implied negative of don't worship anybody else. Right? These go hand in hand. And so we have to look at both sides in, uh, in, in every command, in every you shall not, there requires us to understand as well, but instead you shall. In the third commandment, we must not take the name of the Lord our God in vain, but alongside that is the implied command, you shall give to the Lord the honor which is due his name. So this week we're going to look at that flip side. We're going, how are we to give God the honor do His name. Of course, thinking about what holiness looks like is hard because it's so far out of our experience of the world. We don't any of us measure up to it, right? So we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us through His Word and in our hearts today. If you're able, please stand while I pray and remain standing as I read from Matthew chapter 6. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word. We pray that you would speak to us through it. We are so prone to misinterpret, misapply, misunderstand, twist it to mean whatever we want it to mean. So Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, straighten our hearts. Give us grace to see your holiness and glorify your name. Speak to us through this your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Said, so I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6. I'm actually going to read from 7 to 11, but we'll focus on 9 and 10 in particular this morning. This is God's Word. Jesus says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today, or this day, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Be seated.
I came across a story this week that I've run across before, so maybe I've told you this story, I'm not sure. It's about Joe DiMaggio. In the summer of 1941, World War II had just ended. Uh, the soldiers, including some pretty famous baseball stars, were starting to come home from the army, starting to be sent home, uh, coming back into American life. And Yankee slugger Joe DiMaggio, at least for a little while, wanted to kind of sneak in and just be Yankee fan Joe DiMaggio before he had to rejoin the team and come under the pressure of the celebrity life. And so he snuck into, the, into Yankee Stadium there and into a mezzanine seat with his four-year-old son, Joe Jr., before he was slated to come and rejoin the team. But, of course, one fan recognized him, and then another, and then another, and pretty soon the whole stadium was chanting, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, the whole stadium. And, of course, DiMaggio was moved and looked down to see if his son had heard, noticed the tribute, and as it happened, his son had, in fact, heard what was going on. He looked up at his daddy and he said, Look, Daddy! Everybody knows me. That's a funny story. There was a paper submitted to the Evangelical Theological Society, which is kind of an academic group of theologians that get together and submit academic papers about things. But there was one paper in particular that was submitted a couple of years ago that reflected on that story in this way. He said, the author says, the junior Joe DiMaggio made the innocent child's mistake of assuming all the glory at Yankee Stadium that summer afternoon in 1945 belonged to him and not to his father. Human beings, however, make a far less innocent mistake when we live as if our lives were all about us and all about our glory rather than about our Lord and His glory. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1.21 that the fundamental sin of the human heart involves a purposeful failure to honor God as God or give thanks to Him. That is, to give the Lord the glory that He is due. Each of us is like Joe Jr. Each of us is all about me, myself, and I. All about what I want, what I think is important, and how I'm not getting enough credit for what I have done, and what I should be doing, what I, uh, and whether that's the, in the family or at work or more broadly than that, we are all about me. We've talked about this in other contexts before, but the root of so much of what's wrong with the world the root of so much of what's wrong in our individual lives, so much of our sin and our alienation from God and from each other is, put simply, that we want to be and that we are trying to be God. We usurp His authority trying to do what only God can do, trying to order and arrange our lives in a way that is pleasing to us trying to ordain the lives, the lines of our borders to plan the ends to which we'll attain. We're trying to be the Holy Spirit, trying to fix everyone in our lives so that they'll look like me, obviously, because I'm the standard, clearly. Some of us are even trying to be Christ, sacrificing ourselves for those that we love and then looking around in confusion when everything blows up in our face. And even when it doesn't blow up in our face, we resent it because people don't recognize all the work that I've put in to manage your life, 
to make the lines in your life fall in pleasant places for you, and how could you not recognize all that I have done? We try to do the things that only God can do. And we do them poorly when we do them at all. And then we demand all the honor in the world for the tiny little failing, faltering bit that we've done. We are thieves of the glory of God. We try to do what only He can do and then demand the honor due only to Him for our having done the amazing work of usurping His place. When I worked with young people, particularly college age, a common question that, we, that was asked was some version of what am I going to be or to do when I grow up? And typically that related to their job. You know, what career am I going to have? What classes, what should I major in so that I can go have a career? That kind of thing. It's a question that most of us have asked at some point in our lives, but they were almost always also wrestling with not just what career am I going to have, but who am I going to be? More fundamentally, why am I here? And that's a question that we, most of us have asked as well. Fortunately, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. When we confess our faith, one of the documents that we use to confess our faith is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the very first question, you know what it is, what is the chief end, the primary purpose, the goal, why do we exist? What is the chief end of humanity? What's the answer? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our main purpose, our first goal, our chief end, the reason that you or I or anybody exists is to give glory to God. That's it. That's why we're here. Whatever else we do, that should define our lives. Now, on the surface, whoo, that's great. That's an epistemological crisis solved. Excellent. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's go play catch. But as we reflect on that, we're left with some questions. What does it mean to give God the glory due His name? What even is that? How do we do it? Once we figure out what it is, how do, how do we even accomplish that? And those are good questions. But the answers are generally difficult. It's, it's hard to wrestle through to what the answers are. And even once we've kind of figured out what the answers are, it's even harder to actually do it. And so we tend to just kind of brush those questions aside eerily with a vague, well, I, I don't have time or mental energy to deal with that right now. I'll figure it out later. I'll figure it out when my life gets less complicated, less busy, less confusing. But here's the thing. It won't do. Life is never not busy. This busy is replaced by that busy, which is replaced by another busy, which is replaced by yet another busy, until eventually you look around and you see more of your life behind you than in front of you. And what do you do then? And you still haven't figured out what it means to give God the glory, the honor due His name. Before I go any further, let me just make this clear. I am not standing here saying, I've got this all figured out. You should be like me. I am not saying that at all. I don't have it figured out. I fail to give God the glory he deserves daily. 
it's, it's, I'm, don't do what I do. Don't be like me. As in so many things, I am a terrible role model in this. But I long to do better. I long to glorify him more. I want to lift his name in all my life. Or maybe more accurately, I want to want to lift his name in my life. As we look at some of the hopefully tangible ways, as we talk about this this morning, tangible ways to give God the glory, please believe me when I say that all of this is aspirational. It's what I hope to be, what I hope to do, what I aspire to, rather than reflectional, what I am doing or have done. None of us get this right. None of us give the Lord the glory that we should. But I hope at least all of us want to glorify Him. We want to glorify Him better than we do now. So with that in mind, a few prefatory thoughts before we reflect on the actual process of giving Him glory. Uh, Where do we start? I think it must be here. You can only glorify what you know. You can only glorify what you respect. You can only glorify what you love. You can only glorify what you know, what you respect, love. You can only glorify what you, what you know. If you don't know someone, how could you possibly give praise and glory to that person? If I pick a random name out of the phone book and begin to praise that person for all their wonderful qualities and all the, great, many, the many great things that they've done, the best that I could hope for is you would laugh in my face because I have no idea who that person is. I don't know what they've done with their life. I don't know. Maybe I'm telling the truth, but it would be entirely dumb luck if I were. If you don't know someone, you can't legitimately praise them. In such a situation, my words would be absolutely hollow because I don't know that person from Adam's house cat. But what if I instead met somebody or praised somebody who I had just met briefly in passing? Uh, In in my life, I once shook the hand of a famous senator. It was in a receiving line. I had maybe a third of a second with him. It It was quick. But I shook his hand. I've met him. I know him, right? I can praise him. Again, my words would be empty. The only way that you might listen to me in that is if you didn't know him either and you didn't know that I didn't know him. The same is true when we speak of our Lord. There are many in our society who don't know God from Adam's house cat, but think they do. They've probably heard of him given our culture, but all they know is what they've heard on the news what they've heard from others, what they've imagined in their own minds, sometimes even based on the twistings of God's Word, but still what they've imagined about Him rather than through actual knowledge of Him. People will praise the Lord because God is love, and what they mean by that is God approves of my experience of the warm feelings that I call love in whatever dimension and toward whatever object I choose. That ain't what that verse means, by the way, just so you know, FYI. We cannot truly praise what we do not know. But even if we know someone, we can only praise them, him, if we also respect him. I had a coworker many years ago who I knew well. 
I worked with him just about every day, every work day anyway, for several years. I knew what he liked. I knew what he didn't. I knew about his family. I knew his hobbies and his work habits. But he was, to be polite here, not a nice person. And I had and have absolutely no respect for him. I wouldn't even try to praise him. Anything that I said would be, at best, hypocritical garbage. In the same way, it's possible to know God in the sense of knowing all sorts of true things about him and not respect him at all. James reminds us in, in his book that it is good to know God, not enough just to know God. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons know everything there is to know about God, but far from praising Him, they hate Him. There are some people who learn a lot of truth about God who even claim to believe in Him and who will even call themselves Christians, but whose hearts are darkened and who cannot abide the thought of the reality of him. They see God's sovereign, t- sovereign care for his people as cosmic tyranny turning those people into robots. They see the death of Jesus in the place of those whom the Father elected as the most egregious case of child abuse in history. It is not enough to know about God. You must also respect him if you are going to give him Glory. You cannot truly praise and glorify what you don't know. You cannot truly praise and glorify what you don't respect. Yet even then, it's possible to know the truth about God, to respect His power and might as one would a downed power line throwing sparks, yet still not glorify Him. Because as much as knowledge and respect are necessary for us to give glory, they are not in themselves sufficient in this life. In addition to knowledge and respect, we can only glorify what we love. You can, you can know about God, you can respect Him, but if your heart doesn't engage with Him as best beloved, you will struggle to give Him the glory that is due His name. But, as your heart sees more clearly what you've given mental assent to, the beauty of the Lord, the wonder of His substitution of Himself in your place when you hated Him, His constant and perfect care for you, upholding you in trials and carrying you through griefs. In short, as you love Him more dearly, then you will, excuse me, then you will find yourself almost auto- automatically and without extra effort giving praise to the glory of His grace. As you see it more clearly, as your heart thrills to it, you will praise Him for it, giving Him the praise that is due His name. But that's hard, right? We can't command our emotions. I can't look at my heart and say, love this thing. It just doesn't work, right? But if love of, God, love of God is necessary to honor God in truth, what then is the solution? If I can't command my heart to love, how do we resolve this tension? 
I think at the heart of things, it's a matter of definitions. The Bible says you must love God. You know the quote, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. And we hear that and we hear love as feel warm feelings about God. Have warm emotions for God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Emotions are not wrong. Indeed, they're essential. But they're not the motive force. Emotions are not the driving force. They're not the engine. They're the caboose. They're part of the train. They will come along necessarily if you commit your heart to love the Lord. Your emotions will follow. But they don't drive the train. We don't wait for our emotions to feel what we want them to feel. And only then do we glorify God. We choose to love. And then our emotions will come along. While love is an emotion, it is not first an emotion. It is first a decision of the will. It is first a decision that I will look for the gracious and merciful hand of the Lord in everything that happens in my life. If you haven't had this experience yourself, I'm sure you know someone who has. Something bad happens in your life, whether that's a sickness or a job loss or a divorce or a car crash, whatever, name the thing. You know, we have all sorts of things that we, t- that we deal with. Whatever it is. And in response, they blame God. You didn't prevent this, Lord. Therefore, you either don't really love me or you're not really sovereign. One or the other. Because if you loved me and you were sovereign, you would have prevented this. You would fix this grief, this pain that I'm facing. You would make it not happen if you were really able to and really loved me. That temptation is always present, whether it's big giant things or little tiny things or totally inconsequential things. My life isn't exactly what I want it to be. Therefore, God has fallen down on the job. Love is not a responsive or transactional thing. If you do this for me, then I will give you my love. Rather, it is proactive. I will choose to love you no matter what. What that means for my daily life, my daily walk with Christ, is that when something bad happens, my assumption, my starting assumption, is that God is still sovereign and that He is still good. Whatever, however hard this may look from where I'm sitting right now, I start from the assumption that He is still in control and He is still good and still loves me. And whatever hard thing this is, He's allowed for his own good purposes. I, don't, I may not know what those are, and I'm not, certainly not going to descend to, well, everything happens for a reason, because that's just trite fatalism. But I'm going to start with a trust in the character of God. What, that he loves me, and whatever he allows in my life is allowed in to grow and shape me into his image, into trusting him more and giving him more glory, which is best for me. Now, sometimes that's a lot harder than others. But it is a decision made in advance of the event, not in response to the event, and held to regardless. Kind of like our brothers and sisters in hard places. You don't wait for the persecution to start and then make up your mind whether or not you're going to stick it out. 
you start before any of that happens and you say, I will be faithful to Christ, period, come what may. And if the Lord chooses to allow persecution, I will be faithful. And if the Lord chooses to lavish me with, you know, let me find a gold mine in my backyard, I will be faithful. And whatever in between, I will be faithful. Because it doesn't depend on what he gives me, it depends on who he is. I will choose faithfulness. If I'm waiting for God to do what I want before I praise him, it will never happen because I will always find a reason to be dissatisfied. Our hearts are so poisoned that we will find something bad about the best thing there ever was. The truth is that that in this life, what you look for, you will find. If you look for reasons to distrust the Lord, for reasons why your life is hard and everyone should pity you and, and be nice to you and the Lord has fallen down and failed, you'll find them. Your sinful heart will allow you to see reasons for that because this world is full, filled with sin and hard. We all face hard things. You'll find slights, large, small slights, even imagined slights. You'll find them. You'll find slights to fixate on as a reason to reject those made in God's image. You'll focus on the things that aren't the way you wanted them to be instead of seeing all of the glorious ways that the Lord has provided for you, even if they weren't the ways that you wanted Him to provide for you. On the other hand, if you decide in advance that you're going to look for the hand of God accomplishing His own glory and the good of His children, if you decide in advance that that's what you're looking for, you'll see that too. I'm going to tell on Dwayne here for a moment. I told him beforehand that I would do this, but here we go. So we mentioned earlier that there was a car wreck. There was a car, came down 500, ran across a couple of yards and smacked into the, his next-door neighbor's car, which pushed those cars into the, the bus that was parked in his driveway. Um, in that moment, now no one was hurt, thank the Lord, but in that moment, Duane had a choice. He could have focused on the fact that the bus was now damaged and that there was going to be all kind of paperwork necessary. I'm sure, I don't know that for certain, but I'm willing to bet that there was some paperwork necessary to be filled out and dueling bureaucracies between the police and the school district and the bus authority and whatever. I'm sure there was all kind of headache that he could have been focused on. But instead of that, he's consistently said, the Lord protected us even before we knew that we needed protection. Duane chose to see the hand of God at work preserving and protecting. Now that doesn't make the annoyance of it all go away. Those forms didn't vanish magically overnight because Duane trusted the Lord. All that fun paperwork I'm sure still exists and the, the bureaucracies are going to have an epic battle, I'm quite certain. But he chose to see the work of the Lord and give Him glory. This is what I'm talking about. That that's how you approach life with intentionality to give glory to God. In the midst of hardship, large or small, which is going to come. Ain't none of us getting out of this life unscathed. We're all going to have hard days. We're all going to have hard years. In the midst of the hardship that we face in this life, 
How do you respond? Look for the hand of God at work, supporting, upholding, protecting, guarding, guiding you. Child of God, He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He may not do what you would like for Him to do, but He will never fail and He will never leave you alone. And as you see that reality, as you strengthen your eyes and strengthen your mind and your heart to perceive His hand at work, you will more and more be enabled to recognize it. You will see it more and more everywhere as you begin to look at it. Look for it. And as you see it more clearly, you will be able, you will be enabled by the work of His Spirit in you to give Him the glory due His name because of His work in your life. Okay, what does that look like? practically speaking. We are often tempted to reduce our glorifying the Lord and giving glory to Him to this time right here, the formal worship service this time on Sundays, maybe Wednesday nights if you're, you're able to come to that. Maybe if you're really spiritual to include the 15 or 20 minutes that you read God's Word in the morning by yourself. That's the time to worship and glorify God and the rest of the day is yours to do with what you want, right? That's our temptation. That's where our minds typically go. And that's not wrong. Those are absolutely the most obvious times to worship and glorify God. But that's, if that's the only place that we're giving Him glory, if that's the only way that we're living honor to His name, then we're not really glorifying Him at all. Because we are declaring by our actions that He only matters in a tiny little corner. He's not really God, because if He were really God, He would affect our whole lives. If He's only for Sunday morning, or only Sunday morning and Wednesday night, but only 15 minutes each day, then He's not really God. He's just your, you know, teddy bear that you snuggle with from time to time. His glory is only important at certain specific times and doesn't impinge on the rest of life at all. I can do what I want. So what are some other areas of li- our, our lives, other ways that we glorify Him? First, in prayer. Um, if you pray to Him with confidence that He will hear and will act, even if He doesn't act in the way that you hope He will, in the ways that you're asking Him to, if you pray with confidence and certainty that he will hear and act for you, then you are in that prayer giving him glory. By resting your trust in him to do what he has said he will do and to work good in your life, in that moment you are glorifying him by trusting him. I disagree with Piper about some things, but I think he got, got it really good when he said, he's kind of edit of that the shorter catechism answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Our delight in the Lord everywhere in our life gives him great glory because our delight in him is rested on true knowledge of him, true belief that what he says about himself in his word is accurate, that he will act in our hearts, in our lives, for us. 
when we have all of that rolled in together, we call it delight because we have a God who loves us. Second, and I kind of struggled to come up with the right name for this, mindfulness. We kind of talked about it some. As you go through your life, are you keeping the glory of God in the front, in the forefront of your mind and heart? Are you looking for his hand at work, looking for ways that you can, opportunities for you to exalt him? Or are you just drifting through, waiting for him to reveal himself in a mighty sign, words written on the sky? We believe that all of life belongs to God. That every moment of our days from getting up in the morning to getting up in the morning, every moment of our days belongs to God. That the idea that was, is so common in the world of the sacred-secular split, that there are some things that are sacred and belong to God and other things that are secular and are just, you know, off in the world somewhere, the very idea of that is antithetical to Scripture. Everything belongs to Him. The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness of it, the world and all who dwell in it. It is no more holy to be a preacher than it is to be an electrician. It is no more holy to be a missionary than it is to be a teacher or a garbage collector or you name it. As long as it is not actively sinful, prostitute, for example, every aspect of human life belongs to God and can glorify Him. Functionally, over the last 50 years-ish, 75 years, whatever, that has mostly meant dragging the so-called sacred things down to the level of the secular so that everything is secular and God doesn't own any of it. That's not really ideal. That's not really what that means. Better would be reversing that and seeing that the so-called secular things are all lifted to the level of the sacred that it is all infused with the glory of God through creation, through His providence, through His moment-by-moment sustenance of it and His calling of His people to participate in those things, to fill the earth and subdue the earth and, and rule over it in God's stead. All of His creation belongs to Him. Even though we've marred it, it's still His. And it's still good. The secular things are set apart for the Lord no less than the sacred things are because they are His. That means that in all our endeavors, we pursue the glory of God, pursuing the sanctifying or setting apart as holy, sanctifying the name of God in everything we do. Whether it's preaching the gospel to your next or washing the dishes. All of it is God's, and so all of it is holy. In all of it, we give glory to God and the name of God in the midst of it. As Thomas Watson said, uh, a true saint ambitiously endeavors to advance God's name. The question he asks himself in everything he is going about is this. Will this action tend to the honor of God's name? Will it exalt God? 
Everything we do, we need to be asking ourselves that question. How does this give glory to God? How can I worship Him through this? He's everywhere. He is in all of the world. And all of creation sings praise to Him. We participate in that. This should be the chief focus of our lives, whether you are As I said, whether you're sharing the gospel with your next-door neighbor or building a cabinet or repairing an engine or doing the dishes or whatever else, everything is God's. It all belongs to Him. Will this action, this habit, this career, this task, this mindset, this word, will this life, Our lives are built from the moments in our lives. We can't just say, well, I'm going to make my life glorify God, but I'll just keep doing all these things that I'm doing. We start with our moment by moment. He who is faithful in the small things builds to faithfulness in big things. Are you faithful in your words to your spouse? Are you faithful to Christ to glorify Him in your, the way that you do your job, in the way that you pursue your schoolwork? Are you faithful to glorify God in every moment of every activity of every day of your life? And all of that builds to a life of faithfulness, to the honoring of God, the glory of God. I hesitated to put it that way because the reality is none of us do that. None of us are consistent at that. At best... We rise to the level of giving glory to God every now and again, at best. Generally, we all focus on our own desires, our own aches and pains, the griefs that we're facing, the frustrations, the offenses. We don't consistently give God glory in all things. But the glorious work of the Holy Spirit given to us by Christ because of His death and resurrection in our place, the work of the Holy Spirit is that if we are His, we get better we grow in grace because the spirit works in us we choose today to lift his name high rather than our own in one thing maybe a year from now we choose to lift his name high rather than my name high in two things or three things we're not going to get there this side of glory there will come a day when we will be made perfect when we will give Him the glory due His name in all things. But for now, we pursue faithfulness one step at a time, trusting that the Holy Spirit is at work to grow us in grace, that the grace of God covers us and makes us holy. And as we rest in His grace and His mercy, as we delight in Him and more and more lift His name high, We anticipate, we look forward to the day when we will stand face to face with Him, side by side with the whole congregation of the saints, and we'll give Him with the whole of our being, completely undivided hearts, undivided minds, with the whole of our identity and self. We will give Him all the glory there is, casting our crowns at His feet. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, make it so soon. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we do long to glorify you. We long to lift your name high, but we fall short. We pray by your grace. We pray for the the work of your spirit in us that you would make us worship you more tomorrow than we do today. Worship you more next week than we do this week. Worship you, glorify you, honor you more next year than we do this year. May our lives be the trajectory of growing closer to you, not because we're so great, not because we've got it all together and our effort is what happens, but because your spirit is in us and because you are faithful to us. Let us give you all the praise and all the glory all the days of our lives that you may receive all the praise that you are due, that your name may be lifted high in our lives and in our world. Glorify yourself, faithful Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.